Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. So one of my favorite things about a good old campfire, and I'd hope maybe it's one of yours, is grabbing the old six string and sitting around and having a bit of a sing-along. You know, it's a chance to maybe step back in time and remember when things were simpler, things were just a little more fun. So I thought, what better way to, uh, to start off today, you know, we're in this Campfire Stories series than to have a little bit of a, a sing-along. So I'd encourage you, the words will be on the screen, but if you know some of these, let's, uh, let's sing along a little bit like Campfire style. So here we go. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this'll be the day that I die. Country roads take me home to the place where I belong. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country roads, home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. And the skies are not cloudy all day. That was great. Good job, everybody. So a couple that I may have missed are Kumbaya, right? Kumbaya is like the campfire song. And I didn't even think about it until this morning. Somebody's like, hey, where's Kumbaya? And I was like, oops, forgot that one. Or, or maybe, um, how many SpongeBob fans? The Campfire Song song, C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song, okay? Uh, what about Sweet Caroline? Ba, 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 right? Good times never felt so good. Maybe um, Ring of Fire, Johnny Cash, or Wagon Wheel, or maybe a, something a little newer. What about a little Chicken Fried, Zach Brown Band? Okay, all right. So these are all great songs, right? And you know, the melodies are great, the lyrics are great, the instrumentation is important, the arrangement is important, but I would argue that what makes a great song is that it either tells a story or it takes us on a journey or sometimes they do both. Now, whatever your take on country music, whether you love it or you can't stand it, I think we can all agree that those songwriters, they know how to tell a story. I mean, from the opening chords of a song, you are immediately transported to 
the tailgate on a Friday night with your buddies, or you're cruising the dirt road with your windows down, or maybe you're watching the sunset with your feet in the sand with your favorite girl or your favorite guy. Sounds just about perfect, but you gotta remember, we're talking about country music. So for just as many of these incredible, awesome songs, there are just as many where everything just falls apart, right? Your dog dies. Your truck gets stolen. Your significant other leaves. You lose your job. The list goes on and on and on. And today's campfire story centers on the life of a man who we could say lived the best country song ever written. And when I say the best, I really mean the worst. Because as you'll see, it's pretty bad. This man's name is Job, and here's what the Bible says about Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So Job was blameless and upright. He was wealthy. He honored and he respected God. He took care of his family. I mean, the Bible says that Job was the greatest man among all people of the East. So we're not just talking about like one little corner. This is the entire region of the earth. Job was everything that makes up a good man. So as we read Job's story, it, it transitions from Job to heaven. And God's in heaven, and the angels come and present themselves before God. And as we read, we see that, that Satan shows up too, and you might be going, whoa, that's a little weird. But just for some context, Satan is actually a fallen angel. He was an angel, and then he decided and tried to make himself higher than God. And because of it, he was banished. And there's a whole other message I could preach here about pride, but that's not where we're going today. And so as, as we see this, the angels have presented themselves, and, and God sees Satan. He's like, hey, Satan, what's up? And Satan's like, well, you know, I've just been roaming the earth, going back and forth, checking things out. And so God's like, hey, hey, check out this guy named Job. There is literally no one like him. I mean, he fears God, he shuns evil, he's blameless, he's upright, and Satan's like, well, God, let me stop you there. He does all these things because you've blessed him. You've put a hedge of protection around his family. You've covered all of his stuff. But I bet you, if you take that all away, he will curse you to your face. And so God looks at Satan, he's like, okay, let's see what happens. You can take, you can, you can take all of Job's stuff, but whatever you do, don't touch Job. So Satan leaves, and our story continues. So as you read this story, you'll find out that, that Job's kids, they all liked to hang out, they liked to have these parties. And so one day Job's kids are having one of their parties at the oldest brother's house. And so Job is just hanging out, and he, he gets a visitor. It's one of his guys comes in from the field, and he's like, hey, Job, uh, got a little bit of bad news for you, buddy. We're, we're out with the donkeys, and the, the oxen are, are plowing, and the Chaldeans 
Oh wait, no, the Sabaeans. Sorry, there's all these crazy big words. The Sabaeans show up and they took all your donkeys, they took all your oxen, and they killed everybody except for me. I'm the only one who survived. Ouch. So while Job is hearing about what happens to his oxen and his donkeys, another messenger shows up and he's like, hey Job, um, got some bad news. I was out with the shepherds and all your sheep and this fire just fell from heaven and it burned up all the sheep and all the other shepherds and I'm the only one who survived. Double ouch. So as Job is hearing about the oxen and the donkeys and his sheep, a third messenger shows up and I bet you know where this is going, right? More bad news. He says, hey Job, the, the Chaldeans came in three raiding bands and they took all of your camels and they killed everybody but me. Triple ouch. So to add further insult to injury, a, a fourth person shows up. And he says, hey Job, your, your kids were all hanging out at the oldest son's house and this wind sweeps in from the desert, strikes all four corners of the house and the house collapsed. Everyone is dead except for me. Talk about the worst country song ever. This is a bad day on steroids. Job went from being a wealthy and blessed man with a big family to literally nothing. But do you know how Job responded? Job said this. He got up and he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So in all of this, Job did not sin. So if you're keeping score, God won, Satan zero. Oh, and by the way, this is just chapter one. Just chapter one. Let's make sure you're awake here. So chapter two, the angels come and present themselves before God again, and sure enough, Satan shows up with them, and God's like, hey, Satan, what's up? Satan's like, well, you know, just roaming the earth, checking things out. So God says, hey, what do you think of Job? Everything you did to him, he still maintained his dignity and his integrity in my sight. And Satan's like, whatever, God. If you take away his health, I bet he will curse you to your face. So God again says, okay, let's see what happens. You can do whatever you want to Job, but you just cannot kill him. So Satan leaves, and as we read more, we find out that Satan decides to cover Job's body with these painful sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Literally the only thing that Job can do is sit on the ground with a broken piece of pottery and just scratch. That's all he can do. It is so bad that his wife is even like, Job, what is the deal? Just, just give up. It's okay, you can curse God and just die. It'll be done. That's how bad it is. But Job replies saying this, should we only accept good from God and not trouble too? The Bible says in all this, Job did not sin. 
So God two, Satan zero. But the first observation I see in this story is that there is an enemy. It's, it's that simple. We have an enemy and all he wants to do is to see us turn our back on God. He wants to cripple our hearts and our lives with shame and with fear and with pain. He wants us to live as lifeless bodies, having forgotten and hidden our true identities. You know, he's been doing this since the beginning of human life. There's an entire story in Genesis chapter three where Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's like, hey, you guys don't have to listen to God. You don't have to. You can do whatever you want. So he deceives them into eating from a tree that God had told them not to. And as soon as they eat the fruit, bam, they run and they hide because of their shame and their fear. Through these entire first two chapters of Job, we see the role that Satan plays. He slinks around the earth. He is looking for people to manipulate. That's what he's playing at. He's trying to get Job to believe that God is a fraud. He's trying to get Job to turn his back and reject the belief that he has in God. And Satan's doing the same thing today. He is looking for people to manipulate. He is looking to trap us in our shame. He wants to drag us into hiding our true selves because of fear. He wants us to believe the lies that we are constantly telling ourselves. He wants to cripple us so that we cannot live the life that God intended for each of us. Friends, this is not living. That's why Peter wrote this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So how do we resist the devil? We resist the devil by standing firm and by fighting the devil's lies with truth. So one thing that I do to resist the devil's lies is I have a note on my phone and it's simply titled, I am. So when I'm having one of those days, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, where I listen too much to the lies and they start swirling in my head and I start going to a place where I don't wanna be, I open my phone, I open that note, and I start repeating these statements to myself. I say, I am John. I am a child of the living God. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. I am Chelsea's husband. I am Maggie's daddy. I am deeply loved. I am hopeful. I am an image bearer of Christ. And friends, when we give our headspace to the truth, there is no space for the lies in our heads and in our hearts. We can focus on Christ and we can live who and how we were created to be. So as Job's story continues, we find out that he's not alone as he's trying to pick up the pieces of everything he's been through. The Bible says Job's three friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes. They met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes. 
and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word because they saw how great his suffering was. I mean, these must have been some great friends. They left their homes, they left their families, they left their jobs. They just packed up and they went to be with Job. They mourned his losses and they simply sat with him for a week. They didn't allow Job to be alone. They didn't say anything at first because sometimes your presence is enough. The truth of the matter is that we all need friends. We need friends. We can't travel this road alone. We were created for community. God knew from the beginning that we are better when we are together. We are better when we are engaged in community. Why do you think there's so many scriptures which talk about community? It's because we need each other. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, in the end we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Just like Job, we need friends who will support us through our pain and simply be with us. We need friends who will walk with us through thick and thin. We need friends who will encourage us when we are struggling. We need friends who will celebrate the victories with us, whether they are great or whether they are small, no matter. We all need people who will call simply to check in on you, to make sure you're okay, to tell you that you're loved, and most importantly, remind you that you are not alone. Job had friends like this. King David had friends like this. Jesus had friends like this. If you have friends like this, I wanna encourage you today, take a moment and call them. Don't just text them, call them. Tell them how grateful you are for them. So over the next 36 chapters of the book of Job, we find a conversation between Job and his friends. You know, they've been sitting here for a week with him and they're like, okay, we gotta figure out what's going on, right? So for as great as good friends are, we all know that sometimes they have some really crazy ideas and give us really bad advice. That's what we see right here from Job's friends. They are convinced that Job did something wrong. They are convinced that it's Job's fault that everything that happened, happened. And yet, every time Job responds and defends his, his integrity and his innocence, he laments, he mourns, he asks the hard questions. But no matter how many times he's told to curse God, Job refuses. Job holds fast to who God is and he never loses hope. Job eventually asks God to answer his prayer and just tell him what is going on. So we hear one final speech from another friend and then God does exactly what Job asks. The Bible says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. So God meets Job right where he is, in the middle of his pain, in the middle of his questions, in the middle of the storm. And God responds directly to what Job has asked. God's response is a series of questions 
which reminds Job and us in turn as the reader that God is far more powerful than what any human mind or heart can understand. But yet, God is present. God is mindful. God is engaged. And most importantly, God is at work. So through the entire story of Job, what I want you to see today is that there is a purpose in suffering. Our suffering is never in vain. Our pain is never wasted. Our hardship is meant to lead us to God. So after God speaks to Job, Job catches on to what God is doing. And Job responds as he did in chapter one with humility. And he says this, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. But catch this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Before Job's trials and his pain, he had only heard of God, but because of his suffering, he now declares that he has seen God. Friends, it is in our suffering where we see God. It is in our suffering where we meet God. He is nearest to us when we hurt the most. God has not forsaken you. God has not left you alone. God is with you. This is why no matter what, no matter how difficult your situation is, no matter how dark the night is, no matter how far away you feel from solid ground, no matter how strong the storm is, no matter how painful your situation, do not lose hope. Please don't lose hope. Do not give up. So one of the most well-known verses from Job's entire story comes from chapter 13. And he declares this, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So Job's hope in God is so secure. He says, even if this whole ordeal kills me, I will still trust in God. As long as we still have hope, it means that we have something to hold on to. We have something to live for. So I've had a front row seat my entire life to what this kind of hope and perseverance looks like. My dad is a now retired ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, but he has not served in full-time ministry in over 30 years. The year that I was born, my dad was diagnosed with a rare heart condition. And at the time, about all that was known about it was that it caused sudden and unexpected deaths in athletes. My dad's cardiologist at one point told him, every time you get up and preach a sermon, you are shortening your life. So at 36 years old, I can count on one hand the number of sermons I heard my dad preach. When we moved to the family farm 30 years ago, my dad wasn't sure how many years he would even have to live. Now, thankfully, through improvements in medicine, 
and technology and knowledge about my dad's condition, he's been able to live a, a relatively stable and healthy life. He, he has occasional spells of atrial fibrillation, which can be remedied with either rest or brief outpatient procedures in the hospital. But over the past year or so, my dad has really struggled. My dad's health has taken a turn. The, the AFib returned more frequently. My dad's energy dropped. He was not able to live at the pace that he would have liked. So following an emergency room visit in January where a doctor said, you need surgery, my parents were able to get a referral at the Cleveland Clinic. So after a, a long day of, of appointments and meetings and blood draws and all kinds of tests, they met with the head of the department and they looked at my dad's heart function, which was the lowest it had been measured in years. They looked at possible treatment routes and landed on open heart surgery. So over Memorial Day weekend, our entire family, my brother and his family, my parents, our family, we gathered and spent the weekend together. And my parents were very open and upfront with us about what my dad has struggled through this past year. But as they shared with us everything, my dad picks up his Bible and he reads this. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So my parents have never given up their hope in Jesus. They know that my dad's suffering is temporary. They know that God is doing a greater work than what they can see at the present. They have truly lived out perseverance and hope and faith in the face of suffering. So my dad had his surgery two weeks ago. And as I gave him one last hug and I told him I loved him, I said, Dad, I will see you when you wake up. Still makes me emotional thinking about it. But in that moment, I had hope. I had hope that dad was gonna be okay. I had hope that God was going to watch over my dad. I had a peace that God was at work. Now, thankfully, everything has gone very, very well for my dad. He was released from the hospital six days after surgery and was home four days later. They told my dad that post-surgery, he may experience quite a bit of atrial fibrillation. That's just normal coming out of the surgery. Over two weeks later, my dad has still stayed in normal rhythm, no AFib. So this is just seeing God work. See, friends, there is power and hope. Hope keeps the light burning. Hope reminds us that we are not alone. Hope reminds us that God is with us. Hope helps us persevere. Now, centuries later, Job's story 
of perseverance and hope influenced an early generation of followers in Christ. In the book of James, it says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. You have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's what we're reminded of in Job's story. So you may be wondering, James says what the Lord brought about. What did the Lord bring about for Job? Remember, we've been talking about how Job's life is like a country song. So have you ever heard the joke, what happens when you play a country song backwards? Well, if, if you don't, Rascal Flatts also wrote a song about this a few years ago, and it says this. You get your house back, you get your dog back, you get your best friend Jack back, you get your truck back, your hair back, your wife back, your mind back, your life back. That's what you get when you play a country song backwards. So much like this song says, Job prays for his friends, and God not only restores what Job lost, but he doubles it. The Bible says that the Lord blessed Job even more in his later years than what he had prior. So Job had twice the number of sheep, twice the donkeys, twice the oxen, twice the camels. But even more important, it says that God granted Job seven more sons, three more daughters. The last verse in Job says that Job lived to see his children and their children to the fourth generation. But friends, hear this. I am not promising that God will restore what you have lost because of your suffering. God is not the cosmic vending machine where we can put in our hope and we can put in our perseverance and God's gonna spit back out to us whatever we want. But I will tell you this. We will receive something even greater. We will see God. When we see God, we have our faith renewed and restored. When we see God, it restores our hope. And when we have hope, we have life. In Romans 5, Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So friends, let's not be quick to bail out of our suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope will not put us to shame. God's love has been poured out through the Holy Spirit. In a moment, my friend Pastor Sarah is gonna lead us in a time of communion. So as we do that, let's take a moment and let's thank God for our suffering. As hard as that is, let's thank God for our suffering because through our suffering, is when we see God. Let's pray.
God, we thank you. We thank you for our suffering. As hard as it is to say that, God, we thank you for our pain. We thank you for our suffering. God, we thank you for your presence with us in the storms of our lives. We thank you for showing yourself to us. Thank you for the hope that you give to each one of us. Thank you for never giving up on us, even when we want to give up. Thank you for bringing a purpose into our pain. God, today we ask that you would continue to be with us. Jesus, we ask for continued strength to stand firm against the enemy. Help us believe the truths and to push back against the lies. For those of us who feel alone, God, remind us that you are with us. Bring friends into our lives who will sit with us, who will remind us that we are loved and help pick us up along the way. Most of all, we ask for you to help us hold on to hope. Help us look to you as the light in the darkness. We have hope because of you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.